Hey everybody, welcome back to the cast. It's Sam here. I know I say this every week that the views and opinions expressed on the cast are those of the people expressing them and may not necessarily represent the views of our church. Well, this is one of those episodes where that disclaimer is really, really important. Please approach this program with an open mind and enjoy. Good evening, Mike. Hey, Sam. We are here in our 44th episode of the cast, and uh, we still haven't talked about Genesis or creation or basically is the earth 6,000 years old or not. We haven't talked about any of that stuff. I know I made a joke about it once on uh, that episode we did about shows we weren't allowed to watch growing up because we were good Christians, but... um, we haven't really dove into that a lot. And I, th- I think now is the time because it's um, maybe one of the thornier issues in the Bible. And I think if you did a poll of our church, um, I don't think you'd find a consensus. I think so like in America, actually, I just read today, like it's maybe like 35 to 40 percent of Americans do believe they hold to the view uh, of young earth creationism mm-hmm. where and they believe that the the earth the planet that we that we live on was created between 6000 and 10000 years ago mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and all of the life forms were created then and it, it all took place within that 7 day 24 hour day um window that if you read genesis 1 and 2 literally i actually i think just genesis genesis 1 uh, if you read it literally, well, if you uh, if you if you read it as historical literature, because you read it literally, still should assume a genre. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So if you take it, yes, historically, literally. If you forget that there is poetry and uh, you know literary devices, and you just read it as a word for word description of the early cosmology then true sure very true um but yeah basically where was i going with that 35 to 40 percent of americans that's not just christians that's americans um hold to that view which i thought was a shockingly high number but uh maybe it's not so shocking because you know at face value that is what genesis one says but well it's not again that's been a i would say that that, that is an interpretive lens right like young earth creationism um is almost like a backward attempt to discover 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 i can't even talk tonight discover the age of you know the human history in the bible right so it's like if we can gather that you know um you know dave was 1500 bc i think um and back and back and back and abraham was 4000 I think it is, then Adam probably six based on like Noah and certain elements of human patterns we find. And it's all it's all kind of like 
how, I don't even know what they call it theology it is. It's just like biblical timeline. Yeah, you know, well, it's whatever. And 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 then from that place, you you say, well, if Adam, based on our based on the biblical record, shows up, you know, in Genesis chapter two at about six thousand years, based on the genealogies which we have, then, well, how do we deal with that? Right? Then that becomes well. Then Genesis one clearly says this thing. So there is a uh, yes, there there is. There is an interesting way of looking at the Bible, mm-hmm. we'll say, that um, maybe links some things together that aren't necessarily needing to be linked. Yep. It's, so I, I like what you said about it, you know, well, yeah, you're working backwards. But as far as this being like a real th- uh, hardline sort of theory, am I wrong in saying that young earth creationism is actually like a pretty recent kind of thing? Like it was brought about in reaction to... Um, you know, the rejection, it was about the rejection of evolution rather than about um, faithfully interpreting the Bible? Uh, I have never done a real big study on, like, young earth, old earth creationism as, like, a theological branch. Um, I do know that, you know, even back in the day of St. Augustine, they were talking about the nature of Genesis and what its point was. Yeah. Right, and... And so there's that. Um, I think that the idea of seeing the Bible in certain ways is a much more modern thing, right? Like we've talked about uh, the authority of Scripture before and the inerrancy and that kind of doctrines that have come up in America, especially in response to a lot of um, post-Enlightenment rationalism and how that's affected, you know, how Christians wanted to defend faith through the Bible and things like that. Um Here's the thing. I, I actually, for me, I I don't think, I don't really care about people's perspective on like young earth, old earth. I think there's obviously implications that do matter. Uh, I always say this, in, in the conversation of, of like creation, um, the issues rely on a few essentials and it's that God made it. Um, that God made it with purpose, that it was good, and that sin broke it. I agree. Like, at least fundamentals around that. Um, I do believe that, you know, Jesus speaks to Adam. Um, Paul speaks to Adam, not as symbolic, but as literal people, um, which does pose some interpretive issues for kind of like a, um, a, you know, um, theistic, evolution perspective um but you can rationalize it out that either way do we believe as christians i think that there was an actual first image bearer named well named adam or called adam or whatever yeah i think we have to believe that that's the biblical testimony um now how that um works out in, in our theological camps and our scientific um, inquiry, I guess there is clearly some divergent opinions. Yeah, many, many of divergent opinions. Do you want me to go right into, do you want me to tell you what I think about all this? Should we, should we start from there? Because sure. I feel Jump. like this might be a good point for you to um, tell me I'm also wrong. Um, jump in. Well, yeah, yeah, you can jump in and tell me if I've committed any 
big heresies here. So it seems to me that here's what I think about the age of the Earth. One, I, I don't believe in young Earth creationism. I believe the Earth is much older than six or eight or 10,000 years old. Um, I think, you know, all science points to that being true. All the all the available metrics and measurements and observable um, things that we have point to that being true. You know, if you look at physics, you look at um, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The distribution of animal okay. and human life across the globe. Um, mm-hmm. The, just the way that geological formations have happened. Um, it All of it points to the earth being extremely old. I don't know, you know, I'm not going to confidently say that it's the exact age that science says it is. Um, Because I don't think we can truly know that. Well, just for the sake of our listeners, that naturalistic Darwinian scientists say it is. Yes, exactly. Right, because you have to always put in the story. Right, there, there is always a narrative, Mm -hmm. and as in, in you know, Christian scientists, not Christian science. That's a weird like religion, but Christian scientists uh, who see the same facts and tell a different story right um we had we we just have to be aware of that that like that facts are facts obviously yes. but the interpretation the meaning the reason of said facts are up for that's right yeah a worldview right to mm-hmm. to distinguish that if you already remove the possibility of a god of creative power of a closed system that includes an infinite power source then you know your story will be different. Yeah. So, so Tim Keller, the way he describes that, he has little acronyms for it: EBP versus GTE. So, two different views on evolution. So, EBP is evolutionary biological processes. That is what I believe explains the development of life on Earth. It is not a cohesive worldview. That would be GTE, the grand theory of everything, meaning you extrapolate evolutionary biological processes and say this explains all of existence i don't believe that i do believe there is meaning and purpose i believe we are created in the image of god and well the the issue becomes what does that mean for the theistic evolutionary thinker yeah right yep and and at what point does that happen um how do we know that it won't happen again if was it a special moment of revelation or was it a natural outworking of a process that God started and, and just let happen? Mm-hmm. And then how do you deal with the inevitability of pre-fall death and sin? Yep. Well, I'm asking you those questions. Oh, I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I don't have great answers for those. Yeah. I just, if I'm going to be a, a yeah. good Wesleyan here... I, I have to take into account one scripture, of course, what scripture says about it, and then tradition as well, my my own experience, and what was the fourth one? Gosh, I'm so bad. I'm a reason. reason. Yes. So those things all have to work together for me here. Based on scripture, so if I'm going to, one, if I'm going to read scripture faithfully, you're right, as you said before, I have to, I have to take into account genre an intent of the author, which I, I mm-hmm. think also needs to involve my reason faculties as well, mm-hmm. as well as tradition. How, how has the church yep. always understood this text? Now, I actually want that's a 
that's a great place to start because I want to read a little bit from um, Bishop Robert Barron, who is a, a Catholic. What better source to go to if you want to talk about what the church has always believed? <laughs> Although, to be fair, Catholics will disagree about this a little bit as well. But he says, one of the most important principles of Catholic biblical interpretation, that's big C Catholic, he said there, but um, anyway, is that the reader of the scriptural text must be sensitive to the genre or literary type of the text with which he is dealing. Just as it would be counterindicated to read Moby Dick as history or the wasteland as social science, so it is silly to interpret, say, the Song of Songs as journalism (laughs) or the Gospel of Matthew as a spy novel. By the same token, it is deeply problematic to read the opening chapters of Genesis as a scientific treatise. If I can borrow an insight from Father George Coyne, a Jesuit priest and astrophysicist, no biblical text can possibly be scientific in nature, since science, as we understand it, first emerged some 14 centuries after the composition of the last biblical book. So the author of Genesis simply wasn't doing what Newton, Darwin, Einstein, and Hawking were doing. He wasn't attempting to explain the origins of things in the characteristically modern manner, which is to say, on the basis of empirical observation, testing of hypotheses, marshalling of evidence, and experimentation. Therefore, to maintain that the opening chapters of Genesis are bad science is a bit like saying the Iliad is bad history or the Chicago Chicago Tribune is not very compelling poetry. And he makes the case that Genesis is a is theology. It's it's describing, and he, I think I watched one of his videos on this. He says that in the time that um, Genesis would have been written, there were a lot of gods, a lot of other sort of pagan religions where they deified the moon and the stars and the things in creation. And Genesis comes in and says, "No, God created." those things that you're deifying and so it actually speaks to some of the the false gods of the time so it's theology in that sense and then just you know everything else about it as far as man and and sin and um our fallen our fallenness well yeah but then you i agree with you so i'm not saying but as in like i disagree but then you also have to separate Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, yes. right? Because this is where things get tricky. Is the It's what's called the, the Toledot or the Toledoth. The beginning of Genesis 2 starts with, and these are the generations of Adam mm-hmm. um, or of man, I think. And then it goes in generations of Adam and then generations of Seth. And it begins to list in a, in a rhythmic pattern what we would consider uh, genealogical history. And so we see that in chapter 2, but not in chapter 1. And that's where the thing needs to shift is that that's why, like, if you're going to read the Bible as a literal document taking into account literary devices and genre, there's no way you could honestly read Genesis 1 as anything but poetry, 100%. But then there's nothing you could do to read Genesis 2 as nothing but some Moses trying to give an accurate account of the story of Adam. Yes. And that and and, and that and that's where things do get a little bit complex. But I, I do agree that um, Genesis one, especially, and this is, what I th- and this is the this is the danger of a lack of, um, you know, historical context. Um, and again, you know, I th- I think sometimes we forget how, <laughs> like how important it is to 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 actually study scripture as as an attempt to understand its original intent like the bible cannot mean what it did not originally mean to those who would hear it or wrote it right Mm -hmm. like 
authorial intent as far as we're able to discern is like is the rubric for how we go about it and if we're going to try to make new things up that the bible never the authors especially never intended to mean um though those things may be true we have to say that they are true for a different reason than what the text might say and so what i mean by that in this case is that it's boring to try to get into ancient mesopotamian religion on a sunday morning for people right who don't really care because you know their marriage is falling apart but it is important for us as Christians to do a deeper understanding of this because it does give power to the story. And and so what Sam you you said I, from, you know, your research is is very true that I almost think the greatest um the greatest kind of thrust of Genesis 1 outside of the glory of God and the beauty of God is reading that poem as a poetic polemic against bad theology yeah. because not not only was there de, you know deifying things which we see throughout all scripture right like this comes up all the time in fact i was reading oh shoot where was i reading it it was a couple days ago for one of my devotions in one of the prophets where it just says like you know uh you know your idols have hands and feet but can't speak and can't like they just we we, we just make idols out of everything yeah right and when things are majestic like a moon or a star we do that but What's actually, I think, more powerful, one step further than that, is, is, is not that you know, we need a polemic against the deification of stuff, which, hint, hint, in culture, we still do that today. We might not be the moon, mm-hmm. but we love malls or Amazon now, not actual malls, shopping, consumerism, sexuality. We still make created things gods. But there is a story in ancient Mesopotamian history or religion of how the earth was made right and essentially um it was from the death of a god tiamat the water the god of chaos waters cutting right so so when moses creates this poem of the waters being separated right and and making very clear these waters were not a god separated this wasn't a fight of these ancient deities trying to force some their will on each other this was a creative act of a good god separating waters like there is something about the separation of water at the beginning of time that every sort of ancient story connects to and we don't really know exactly what all that means but what it does mean in this way is that that moses is saying hey the ancient mesopotamian understanding of of chaotic um creation is wrong this was a creative act of a purposeful God. Yes. And then out of that story, what happens is humans were made then as subservient slaves of the gods to do the will that God did not want to do. And in the creation story, what do we see? That God architects, creates, builds, gives his image and does not make slave, but actually makes responsible, Mm -hmm. right? That we are to bear his image. And so the whole story is that humans, like, so so again, just put, put yourself into this context of an ancient world where you're told to fear the gods, they're chaotic, they're crazy, um, you know, they can take you out at any minute, and you were, you're essentially just a slave to their will. And then you hear, oh, no, actually, that's not how it started. It started out of, out of, out of creativity and power and wonder, and, and you are not the slave of some crazy god, but the image bearer of that God to have dominion in creation in, in, in what God made. And yes, sin broke it. That's where the suffering, that, that's why we, we, we need the law. That's why we got to come back for redemption. But the purpose of humanity in that sense was, as I think, um, um, what is it? The, uh, 
what catechism is it? Um, Westminster, maybe, right? To uh, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Like that. That's what that story says, which mm-hmm. was so anti-religious um, at the time, right? And so we see Moses doing that and, and creating this poem around that and, and using, right, a, a very powerful Sabbath image, right? Because it says that, that there was night and then there was day. It's a reverse thing because this Jewish Sabbath starts at night and ends in the day. And so it, it is this um, beautiful, like, rest-filled, rhythmic, then we see form and function being filled in there. Some have argued even like a temple being built. People push back on that, like William Lynn Craig does not really like the ancient temple analogy for creation, but either way, like the, this beautiful, purposeful, architected world that we bear the image of, and we're called the rule reign, and use our position to benefit what God made, to, 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 to create and enculturate it, um, because being good does not mean being perfect. And so there's almost like this little bit in it where, where it's meant to be expanded. It's meant to be grown, right? Because we even see this, the arc of the Bible now, right? From yeah. Genesis being a garden to Revelation being a city, right? The, the literal like cultural development of the story of the Bible. And so that's all packed in there, yeah. right? And and if we want to take that and reduce it to the world was 6,000 years old, we're kind of missing it, yeah. right? Now, within that story though, like... It could be. Maybe. Right? Like, the thing about it is if you take it to be, this is why I always say, like, like you you can be a young earth creationist and get away with so much because all you have to do is, is say, like, well, how old do you think Adam looked when God made him? Well, most scholars would say clearly of the sexual reproductive age, right? So, <laughs> he, he wasn't a baby, <laughs> right? Like, he wasn't now, a baby. I, I'm just picturing, like, you know, a pubescent teenage boy with all the hormones raging <laughs> i feel like he had to be a little bit more than that just because of like you know i feel like god would be that way anyways um so so the appearance of age necessary for that kind of um ex nihilo creation um, meaning this that like the earth we would expect it to look the way it is if God made it look like this way, just because our science reads a longer story doesn't necessarily. So, so there is that way you can get around it. I'll admit to you, like I'm not a, I'm 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 not a young Earth creationist. I actually am an old Earth creationist. Um, and even with that, like I'm okay with old Earth kind of naturalistic evolution, um, or not naturalistic evolution, theistic evolution to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, I do think the issues around the Imago Dei are, are, are big ones to consider um, and the historicity of Adam. But at the end of the day, like we have to think about this. This is something that I think a lot of Christians kind of avoid thinking about, but like I, I, I do think about is like, you know, Cain and Abel had wives. Yep. And, and um king was afraid of being killed after being cast out from his family yes so the question is who is he afraid of killing him because it, it wasn't i'm kidding <laughs> it, it wasn't just beasts or things like that because even even god says right yeah um that anyone who kills cain will suffer vengeance right kills right to take his life um and and so you know there is this idea Right, and even Lamech, his his future son, right, you know, 
as it sort of goes out into cultural history, like all these sons of, of um, Cain who gave, like they had to get wives from somewhere. Yes. Right? So either there is incest uh, pre the law at this time of what's called primeval history, which some philosophers say that in that case, the genetic line would have been so pure and this, 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 that it wouldn't have caused issues today. And incest is actually a relative prohibition um, because the law had not been quite given yet. And then when the law gave, it shifted the the, the necessity of that um, prohibition to be like no, no more incest, which is kind of unfulfilling. It's kind of like... Yeah, I, I, I don't... It just feel like big reaches to me right and, and so I, I heard a good sermon actually by mark clark uh shout out to pastor mark in vancouver um on this and he kind of goes into some of these issues pretty uh i would say clearly but like he obviously kind of takes a stance of like there's many different perspectives but it, it's good so if, if someone wants like a longer kind of more sermon like take on it yes there's a there's a he just did it a couple weeks ago in his ask anything um series on evolution so just a, a resource pump up i, I mean Go i think that, that like i think that's the only real reasonable i mean you can favor one view over the other one but like for me none of them are none of them are totally off the table i like i think young earth creationism is by far the worst of them like just because I do care to use within the Christian world, within the Christian within the Christian world, yes, yes. okay, yeah. So because the worst one worst is, one is yeah, yeah. Darwinian you're, you're very right so. about that. The one that it, it for so many reasons. Not to mention that there's like a growing, um, a growing like association of scientists, both Christian and not, that are like trying to like repeal Darwinism as like the, as a wrong theory. Yeah, yeah. But people don't know that because they don't read about it. Very true. Read culture stuff. I did. Anyways. I did just want to point out too that C.S. Lewis. Yeah. You mentioned the historical Adam and Eve before. C.S. Yep. Lewis did not believe in a historical Adam and Eve, and yet we cite him as one of the greatest Christian thinkers of our time. So I'm just saying, people, a lot of diversity of thought in regards to Genesis. Yep, there there is. Um, so, so, like to me, the big issue really is about uh, the Imago Dei, because the kind of Theo- uh, theological or sorry theistic evolutionary perspective generally is that at some point in the progress of evolution where the, these kind of humanoids homo sapien like things ex- came came to be that that is when god chose to take two and endow them with this imago dei yeah. idea and then from that these other kind of humanoid things, obviously they took to be wives and, and husbands at some level and kind of begin what we now call the human race, which I think is an interesting theory on like how we explain the uniqueness of the human species. But I don't know. I, I, I do think like for, for an honest Christian theologian, for what we believe the Imago Dei to be, right? It's not just reason that we can think. It's 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 reason. It's moral culpability. It's moral reasoning as well. It's 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 doing things like our Creator, um, kind of sub creators in that way, sub regions, sub things. It's about inherent dignity that we are different, a special, unique creation in all of 
um, God's creation. People will push back and say, well, that's just speciest. And to that I say... Yeah, it is. That's fine. <laughs> go eat some kale. Like, whatever. I'm just kidding. But, uh, no, but, but see, those, those are the things. Is We do believe there is a hierarchy of value in the, in, in the creational order, right? And that, you know, that endowment of value, you know, was given by God. So... Those are some of the those are some of the, the questions I have mainly around that is about like the image of God and when does that show up in the story and how do you explain that? Like I'm okay if someone has a decent theory on it and I'm like, yeah, I can see how that happens, but that's always my biggest take because like, you know, at any point once the image is, is given, sin can happen. Obviously, we see that when once their relationship is established, so that's not a big deal. It is a big deal, but I mean, that's, I can understand how that story could could unfold, and even you could argue what the nature of the fall actually was. Um, was it a you know an imago day awoken human rejecting submission to 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 the creator? And well, yes, and that could happen maybe in a different way than what is given in in the story. But um, the idea of God choosing two humans giving them the Imago Dei, creating a space for them to live protected from danger in the middle of this world, like that same story can fit with what we read in Genesis and a kind of modern sort of philosophical reading. So I do think the stories are ultimately compatible in the lot on the highest level. It's just some of those theological complexities I do struggle with I do wrestle with and like I said like as long as you in my mind believe on the core essentials of what creationism actually speaks to right um intelligent or maybe I shouldn't say creationism I should say intelligent design that's that's actually more culturally correct um then you know purpose reason value mago day you know God actually did it and he's creator like as long as we can come to a point on that, like we can have a conversation and we can move forward. And even if obviously we don't believe that, so I'm still going to you know enter in a conversation. But I mean that we can be theologically aligned, right? There, there mm-hmm. might be some difference of of outworking, but so I think that that's to me where it needs to go is we honor Genesis as what it is. Yes. Um, we I do think you need to honor Genesis two as what it is as well. That there were these kind of two original humanoid things that we would call now Adam and Eve and whether they were, you know, endowed with this in, in a special kind of like divine encounter, whether, you know, it's like the biblical story verbatim or what, like we can argue that, I guess, but I don't know. I just think that like, those are some key things. And and so, and the thing is C.S. Lewis can be wrong. (laughs) He could be. Yep. I don't know. It does make me question. It's like, if you'd ask me right now, Sam, do you believe in historical Adam and Eve? My honest answer is I don't know. Could be gonna be real with you. Like I, th- I think I think probably, but I I think there's I've hearing compelling arguments on both sides, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a bit of a mystery to me. I do think at the end of the day, Genesis is true insofar as it reveals. Um, sorry, it's all tr- it's true. It's um, the way I read it is that it reveals the character of our God and um, our relationship to him. And that's the the main takeaway from it for me. So, so just what you said, 
um, you know, about, about those, those three kind of main theological important pieces. Yeah, true. I still think there's a good case to be made for an actual historical Adam and Eve based even on modern science, but whatever, you know, you can, you can have, I, I I, like, (laughs) honestly, man, it's, I'm trying to figure out what I am sure of and what I'm unsure of. And I'm, I'm actually really okay with being unsure of a lot of things. I would just, I would honestly encourage you guys to listen to that sermon by Mark Clark. I think it actually would help even just give a couple like handlebars on some of this stuff. Cause he even talks about how like, you know, extinction stories and things like that. And, um, and how, if it wasn't like some theories believe that if it wasn't the human kind of like mammals that won the day, it would have been like the reptiles yeah. and that potentially God could have given the Im- image of God to like these reptilian things, which is an interesting thing to think about. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying I, I should the- go listen to that. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think you have to make up your mind on this stuff right now because I don't think I don't think I've fully made up my mind on it and I think that I will continue to hear different viewpoints and think about it and I may change my mind on some of these things over the years while while being orthodox still yeah yeah like I have it's one of those things where like I have never I've never left I would say the boundaries of orthodoxy yeah in the sense of God made it. It's his world. He is king. We are image bearers, which means we have dignity, value. We have responsibility, accountability, morality, and reason. That, that we are, you know, morally rational animals. Because there is a biology to us, right? There, there is a biotic life in us. And that, that then you get into the definition of what life is. And we that's a whole other podcast. But that, that is all made with intention. That God made it out of nothing. That the world began at an instant that God spoke. Like all that I believe to be true. The processes of that, uh, yeah, I think there is faithful wiggle room, we'll call it.